0: This is The Fire These Times, and I'm your host, Julia Yub. In this third season, we will be exploring internationalist solidarity, prefigurative politics, solarpunk, and how to tackle some of the most pressing challenges of our times. Each episode will be on one or more of these topics. But before getting into today's topic, I wanted to quickly tell you that you can support this podcast for as little as $2 or $5 a month on Patreon.com slash Fire These Times. That is Patreon.com slash Fire These Times. If you cannot donate, you can still support by sharing it with your friends and families and leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps it get more exposure and introduce it to more folks. That's it from me today. I hope you enjoyed this episode.
1: hello i am jesse gender so most people would probably know me from my youtube channel where i do sort of uh, video essay type of things kind of uh either talking about lgbtq issues trans issues and politics um and then the other hand nerddoms geekdoms fandoms and things like that mm-hmm. and i also tackle within that also like autism and neurodiversity issues because i am also on the autism spectrum um and then my best videos are the ones that combine all of those things together and uh talk about all of them um uh is sort of like a a through line and using science fiction as a guide to talk about modern uh stuff um beyond that i also like i said i work as a trans and you know advocate and lgbtq advocate and things like that and work as a journalist as well so that's that's
0: mostly me (laughs) the video on star trek and autism is definitely my favorite one Mm -hmm. and so i'll give some some kind of background because so this episode is going to come out in January and it's going to be the fourth episode, I think in January and the three episodes before that one are all going to be on solar Punk. And so, uh-huh,
1: okay, very-
0: yeah, so th- this is the fourth one. So obviously there's going to be a theme of futurism and all of that, but it's also mm-hmm. the first one so far. I've been doing this for almost well, uh, two and a half years or so that for some folks might sound niche, like you're talking about star Trek and autism, uh, like that that's mm-hmm. like you know not a lot of folks might be both like trekkies and autistic at the same time and i don't know whether this is a gamble <laughs> i don't know whether fewer folks will listen to this just because they they say well i'm not autistic or i'm not a trekkie uh or maybe this is too niche or maybe this is you know what what have you but we'll, we'll see how it goes give us a, if it's okay with you like some kind of general picture of like your journey through star trek like how did you how did that start for you you know uh, i'm sure you've you know, told that story a bunch of times, but for our listeners, uh, that's probably the first time. Yeah, of course. Um, so
1: it's it's a. Uh, I always ta- say that I got into Star Trek in like the weirdest possible way. Like no one yet has beaten my story, which at least in terms of like entry point. So my way of getting into Star Trek was my dad and my mother were divorced. So on weekends, my dad would drive me to his place. We'd have like an hour or so. Um. And he would always play some audiobooks or something like that. And so one day he put on a Star Trek audiobook uh, for the movie Star Trek Nemesis. So It was the audiobook for the movie. Uh, And if you're a Trekkie, you know that that's a weird place to have started at because, number one, it's the last of the Next Generation Mm -hmm. movies. So it's like the last of all of them. And also it's considered to be one of the worst (laughs) uh, Star Trek movies uh, in general. Um, So I got into Star Trek by the, the audiobook of the last star trek the next generation movie which is also one of the worst in my personal least favorite star trek movie but i love that audiobook to death uh and like stole it from my dad it was technically a library one i think but i just like took it and just used it for, for forever um and kept listening to it and then he my dad bought me the dvds and then i watched star trek enterprise on tv um which was the, the last Star Trek show of that sort of era, like early 2000s, was when it was ending. Kind of came out right after, right during and right after 9 11. Uh, kind of addressed some of those things. And it was sort of the show where Star Trek was on the wane and actually was the first one to get, be canceled since the original yeah. series. Um, and uh, yeah, so it was just a weird time to have gotten into Star Trek. Um, what I started to do as a Trekkie is I just really, you know, what I would describe it now as like hyper fixated um, on it uh, and just became obsessed with it. So to the point where like I just kept buying books, I watched all the shows, all it was just became like this very central thing. Uh, in my life to the point where like, I, I still refer to it. I mean, obviously I'm still talking about it today and still, uh, still doing stuff with it today. Um, but even more deeply, I sort of point to it as like, uh, the thing that gives me a lot of my, um, morality and my sort of, uh, guide in terms of just how I see the world, Mm -hmm. um, in terms of being hopeful about things, even when things are really dark. So yeah, that's that's sort of the sh- the shortened version of my journey with Star Trek.
0: So, so what you just uh, just explained, at least in the last bit, is how I try and explain why I'm a and why I love Star Trek, because to folks who maybe you know maybe maybe they've checked out one episode, maybe they vaguely know about like Spock or you know what have you, some of the general themes maybe, it can feel very niche and at the, or at kind of at best, like, oh, this is just going to take so much time to get into. And mm-hmm. and there are some, uh, like, I so I'll, I'll explain how I got into it. Mine, my story is much more boring, to be honest. Um, <laughs> growing up, I had seen some episodes of the original series and of Next Generation that kind of popped up on TV from time to time, but it never really clicked for me. And probably I didn't watch it, like, chronologically or whatever. And mm-hmm. then just two years ago, uh, as COVID started... Um, i think that was around the same time that discovery came out or at the very least that's that's when i paid attention to discovery on netflix and so i started i really properly unquote started star Trek through discovery which i later found out is oh, actually with a lot of folks don't like it oh it's not original or, or whatever
1: I, I i like it but well that's a whole topic for a different. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah
0: no i i'm so i'm familiar with it. i've since become familiar with that like that the entire thing around it but but so yeah then i after that i went to the next generation because i was told and now that I'm watching the original series, I understand <laughs> that it can be more like it needs a bit more patience. Let's put it that way. Then the next generation, and the next generation is when I was I, I got completely hooked, completely, completely hooked on the next generation. And then I went DS9 and Voyager, and now, as I said, I'm going through the the, the original series uh, and also oh, yeah. and also Discovery. And so, so I haven't seen Picard, I haven't seen Enterprise, and I haven't seen uh, Lower Deck. I think it's called i haven't seen those i haven't seen most of the movies except some of the more recent ones that were like out in the cinemas and stuff and so my Mm -hmm. my uh it kind of felt like with the um, hardcore trekkies my story is like not not interesting (laughs) it's just like oh i found it it was on netflix and oh this was interesting and then it clicked and then after that yeah since then i mean it's been only two years but but it's been an obsession I think it's I think it's a fine way to get into it. I mean, it's nice to hear.
1: I I mean, honestly, a lot of my the people that I sort of talk to and like hear about Star Trek is usually people who are like, oh, yeah, I got into it back in the day, Mm -hmm. like in the 2000s and the 90s, something like that. Um, and I hear every once in a while about people who got into it in more recent days, but not as much, um, just because of the fact that I'm a big trekky nerd. <laughs> so I usually hang out with people who have been doing it for a long time. So it's it's really nice to like hear people who got into it fairly recently. Like that's not boring. I think that's cool, and it, it makes me happy that people are like able to find it and able to get into it and able to like like just go back and see all the other stuff as well while also enjoying some of the newer stuff as well. Oh, which, completely. by the way. You should be watching Lower Decks because it's my favorite. <laughs> I know it is your favorite,
0: and I definitely will watch Lower Deck because it is like at this point. I after watching that video and I watched that, that documentary as well. We mentioned like I think on gender roles, uh, like definitely uh, I will take your advice into consideration. Is it's gonna be next on the list? Um, yeah, like TNG especially, uh, and then as I said the others, but especially TNG at first was the like two of my friends are gonna listen to this. Like shout out to Ibrahim and Lana um we we bonded on that uh we we Mm -hmm. uh the friends from back from from back home from Lebanon but they actually had moved to Geneva where I'm currently based like in Switzerland and I mean long story short like I moved and the pandemic started so like there wasn't that much socialization happening and they were kind of our safe group like we would only see them for for quite some time for a good year really we only saw two humans I mean we saw him but like interacted like you know, I mean, folks know. <laughs> I'm talking. I'm ta- I am do not know why I'm- I have to explain myself as if folks listening to this have no idea what COVID is or what a pandemic is or whatnot. But <laughs> you I have you know, when to people explain. In the Star everything.
1: Trek future do like find this, and it's like the one relic of like pre World War Three, uh, <laughs> uh, like uh, you know, information that'll help. See They'll exactly. Like, yeah, oh, I, I want just- to be.
0: I want to be thorough. You know, I'm just contextualizing for everyone, including someone listening to this in a hundred years. Um, but well, yeah, it's, anyway, it's just,
1: it's just. Oh, sorry.
0: No, no, no. It's fine.
1: It's just funny funny that you do that because I I realize I do the same thing too quite often where I contextualize things that people should take as a given. It's why like so many of my videos are like an hour to two hours (laughs) long is because like I watch other people's videos and I'm always like uh, surprised by like how well they can like just be concise because my brain and it goes to what we're kind of talking about with neurodiversity is it's like, oh, I need to explain to you every single piece. I can't like assume uh that you know anything and not to like think people are idiots but just being like i just want to make sure you're you're we're all on the same page yeah yeah. And i yeah, think yeah. it's just funny because you and i do pretty much the same thing it sounds like
0: no we, we do we do like a small story like I, me and my wife i like, have this conversation all the time like a tiny story that i have in mind it feels like it's tiny or at least it feels like it's gonna be short but it ends up v- being not not mm-hmm. short at, at all actually mm-hmm. <laughs> but and i know that feeling <laughs> <laughs> but um Let's say someone is listening. Let's say the folks are listening. I'm, I hope some folks are listening to this. They don't know much about Star Trek. What is it about it for you that that clicks? What, how? I mean, maybe not. In, I don't know, 20 years ago, but like now, how? Why does it still click? Let's put it that way.
1: Yeah. Um, so many things that I could <laughs> say, but I think I think the guiding thing for me is it is a show that is about the future, but it is one that looks at it with hope. Um, and optimism that humanity will one day sort of stop, stop focusing on our differences or, or stop focusing on what separates us and focusing on what draws us together. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the, and that will allow us to do really beautiful, wonderful things and be able to explore and, uh, just focus on just the mysteries of life in the universe. Um, in a way that allows us all to just better ourselves. Um, and I, I, I just, I even have tattooed on my wrist. It has a sort of theme of infinite diversity and infinite combinations. And so Mm -hmm. I had it tattooed on my wrist because I just love this idea of, you know, uh, Gene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek, who is his own very complex figure. (laughs) Uh, but he he did have some great quotes, and one of my favorite quotes of his is like, "We." We need to take delight in the differences of others and the differences of life forms. It's not just tolerating; it's taking delight mm-hmm. uh, in others, and and just that idea that you know the future of humanity can only be bright if we we see each other and say, "Hey, you're different than me," and that's beautiful and amazing, and we make each other stronger through that. And then and then kind of along, like I always make this as a joke, as like a side thing, but it kind of goes along with what I just said. Is that like Star Trek is just very. Weird and strange franchise. It has some of the like these episodes that are really deep, really thoughtful, explore modern um, topics and politics and social issues through like through a science fiction lens. And then the very next episode, you'll get like Ferengi being weird and just like just like oh, we're gonna do like a weird heist thing. Or then you'll get mm-hmm. an episode where like Janeway turns into a salamander or whatever. It's just a show that like that is very serious and, and very important, but then can also be weird and strange and off putting uh and and i love that i love that it's just it's just a series that in a series that's about diversity it is itself very diverse in the stories that it tells um and i just i i, I just really enjoy that like you know it's like desert island thing if you mm-hmm. could like if i could only pick one thing to be on a desert island with you know i would pick star trek not just because i love it but because it's like i would just get a little bit of everything and it's just it, it just reflects the ideas that it's always been about in that and i love it
0: yeah the de- one thing I've definitely found is that it really rewards patience uh like I as I said I got into it through Discovery which in many ways if you're not used to this slower pace of some of the older uh Star Trek um like series maybe Discovery is like easier to get in at least that's how I found like it was oh it's like more action filled in many ways and I know that's part of why some folks don't like it but whatever um, I also know part of why some folks don't like it is racism <laughs> that's and all of that stuff. So okay, there's there's a, that. Yeah. There's that, yes. <laughs> but, I mean, they're
1: legitimate, they're legitimate grievances yeah, against yeah, yeah. and I certainly have issues with it here and there, but I also really like it because, um, as a show, I think it is one of the Star Trek shows that has best embodied the idea of infinite diversity and combinations. Like, I don't think this is a Star Trek show that, like, because one of the problems with older Star Trek shows is they sometimes tend to have a very um, – uh, we'll call it male gaze, but yes. definitely, like, and that definitely is true. There's definitely a lot of, like, look at the pretty women sort of thing. But mm-hmm. also, like, otherizing, like, queer folks and otherizing other, um, you know, cultures and people. And and it, and don't get me wrong, it's still very diverse and often, not always, but often for the time in which it took place, it was one of the more progressive shows on mm-hmm. at the time. Not always, but generally so. Yeah. Um, but that being said, the times in which they were in still had problems even for the progressive shows and what i love about discovery specifically is i think it is one of the best shows ever uh to really feel like it is not only inclusive of everyone but not only not only diverse but inclusive of everyone i should say and like everyone gets to exist as themselves for themselves rather than For like some voyeuristic look at like oh let's let's learn about the this culture let's learn about the gay folks let's learn Mm -hmm, about like people mm -hmm. from this culture but it just allows people to like just take part in it very the future of humanity very naturally and so i really love that show for and and then otherwise and then other things like i love the characters and there's some good episodes i have problems with some of its serialized structure but that's a that's a story for a different day
0: (laughs) yeah yeah no i think we would have the same grievances i was listening to this episode of a podcast called busy being black and uh, it was with uh, Chanda Prescott Weinstein, who wrote mm. this book called The Disordered Cosmos. And they're all, the bo- both of them, like the host and the guest were like, are, are uh, like Trekkies. And they were talking about Star Trek Discovery and how there's one episode, I'll try and minimize spoilers for folks listening. But there's one episode where the captain, who is a black woman and her name is Michael, um, meets this alien race. And this alien race... Um, They sort of like, there's no difference in skin color. You know, they kind of look uh, quote unquote the same, at least as far as color, color, like skin tone goes and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, And so because that's the case, when they meet Michael, as far as they're concerned, uh, like this is what humans look like, right? Like humans look Mm -hmm. like Michael Burnham. She had her natural hair. She's a black woman and so on. And they would have no reason given their reality uh to think otherwise like this is just how what humans look like and obviously i i didn't think of it that way i was listening to the episode just a few days ago uh so for those listening it's called the podcast is called busy being black and i think it's one of the more recent episodes you can check that out it's a pretty good episode and it's largely about star trek but also about like you know physics and quantum stuff and whatever uh but like very it was it was really interesting
1: and so yeah, yeah that's that-
0: sounds- hmm? I'll have to check it out because it sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah, no, it's really good. Uh, but, like, that that kind of made me pause and it reminded me for, like, the thousandth time in the past two and a half years why why I enjoy Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And so this brings me to sort of the, not really the main thing, but one of the main things I want to talk about, which is obviously the, like, autistic, like representation of autism and neurodiversity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I even listed them in, in case I forget, but there are so many characters in Star Trek, and obviously your YouTube video uh, talks about that and folks can just, I think if they just write, well, if you write just gender, Star Trek autism, you'll find it on yeah, YouTube. Be there. <laughs> yeah, it should be there. Uh, but like, so there is Spock in the original series. There's Data and Barclay in, TN- in the next generation. There's Tilly in Discovery, there's Barclay, uh, I just mentioned that in T- uh, TNG, and Sam of Ni- Seven of Nine in Voyager, uh, and Odo in DS9. And I think there's one in Enterprise, but I haven't seen Enterprise um Chapal so would
1: probably be the most immediate right, right. Uh, person who comes to mind. Yeah, from, from that
0: so thing. given that I know that the actor I'm very bad with names, but I know that the actor for Data um mentions like there is a video on YouTube where like he was interviewed. He was asked like, that, "Did you know that uh, lots of autistic folks and you neurodivergent know, folks have b- built this bond with Data?" And he, he said like, yeah, he had heard about this. I mean, he didn't know it while filming, but he heard about this later on and that obviously that moved him and whatnot. But not just data itself, but why do you think there's been that? Uh, like, as far as I know, maybe you know more than I do, but as far as I know, um, the writers weren't necessarily thinking like that way when they, were, when they were kind of creating data or whatnot or the other characters. Why is there that bond? Because I watched that video and I thought, okay, I'm, clearly I'm not the only one but clearly other folks also feel that way like i've just been looking on tumblr and reddit and just it's a thing why is it a thing
1: (laughs) well i mean for for two reasons i think primarily uh the first is that like star trek has always been about the the other in Mm -hmm. some way i mean not not always specifically but like it's a show about like I said, it's about diversity, and there are always characters on each show that feel very othered in some way, shape, or form, like Spock or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Space Night is literally a show where everyone's considered another yeah. um, in some way, shape, or form. And as a result, I think like that element of things really does uh, drop like, a lot of people who feel othered by society to the show because they can resonate with those themes of feeling outside. But then also, like I think there are these characters on on the show that like um that the writers just sort of in both positive and negative ways uh like drew upon sort of neurodiversity as as coding for like how people think that sometimes seems strange but we can be very accepting of um data for example he is a uh an android Who sort of has very uh, like just clear ways of of looking at the world and just very clear like lines of thought and is sort of discovering things in a way that like neurodiverse people really, I think, relate to because he doesn't sort of like have um, necessarily a grasp of uh, all the context of like social interactions but likes to understand them and break them down in a way that is very like oh this then this then this then this then this um that i think just neurodiverse people really really resonate with and then you also have uh people like odo who is a character in deep side who comes from without too much to suppose he comes from a shape-shifting species and so he doesn't understand solids quote unquote mm-hmm. and so his sort of like autism is all about like not understanding social situations and how it can isolate you and things like that. And so Odo is also this character who, like has to come into a situation and be like, huh, I'm going to try and understand this uh, from from like my own background. And it's, it, it's I, I would come from completely different like ways of viewing the world. And so now, but I have to fit into a society where I'm I'm the one that feels that feels weirded. Um, and so, like, having to sort of break it down and understand it in that way. And I think that that happens a lot with, like, aliens and androids that you have in Star Trek, where you're sort of, like, talking about cultures that are very distinct and different from each other, having to interact with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not to say that it's every character that's like that, but a lot of them are. Um, and, I mean, the that I think that's really, really positive in some senses, in the sense that, like, I think these representations in Star Trek are the ones that really resonate with people and allow um, people who do see ourselves in those representations to uh, eschew some of the negative, negative associations with um, with neurodiverse representation by seeing ourselves in these characters because they didn't come in with like this character is going to be neurodiverse. So we're going to like do the the like savant sort of trope or mm-hmm. or uh, the the infant, though there is some infantilization, but it's like the infantilization trope. Um sort of thing um but that being said it this goes back to something I said earlier about like the problems with earlier Star Trek is that sometimes that other that by doing that like coding people as androids and aliens there's there's a bit of otherization in in Star Trek 2 when you look at it as a as a neurodiverse coding and then there's still some issues too if we apply the 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 reading of a neurodiverse lens onto these characters but on the whole I think like a lot of neurodiverse people draw to it because well, what have a lot of like outsiders do because we we the show is able to articulate those things in a way that feels safe and and wholesome, uh, rather than sort of very problematic where more literal representations fail.
0: Yeah, I I don't think I since I mean since then as I said I started with uh, discovering then and then TNG but in TNG the character of Data uh, and to a lesser extent Barclay as well actually, mm-hmm. um, it's very odd. I mean. At least it's it's hard for me to explain it, or oh, I have difficulties explaining. But I don't know how to explain the bond that I felt with a with a fictional character, because I never really had that with fiction in general, whether it's books or TV or series or what what have you. They are like obviously growing up, like they had there were there were characters in Lord of the Rings that was like the big thing for me growing up. That I I, I as like oh this is a, you know cool male figure or whatever you know I I had that kind of stuff growing up like Aragorn or or what have you, Gandalf, that sort of thing. But it wasn't like oh I identify myself in that character. There wasn't like that kind, that 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 sort of link. And with data I felt that. I really did. Uh obviously as you know, he's an android so there's this quote unquote more extreme you might you might put it. Um or, or one might might put it. But the the attempt at understanding something that he doesn't really understand and also the patience that the folks around him like see that he is genuinely trying to understand and that there is actually a way of both one like understanding one another like that sort of struggle intention and, and i think it's it's i'm sure like there are some issues with it but i i found it like pretty well done and with mm-hmm. Barkley, um i don't know I, I, yeah i did feel sometimes it was kind of maybe this is a bit too much playing on that trope or whatnot but like mm-hmm. nothing I didn't have like serious issues as I think others did. Um, I like, I just like the character as a person. I just like that person.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no. I mean, for, for both of them, I agree with you. Like data, data, I think is, is uh, one people gravitate towards because there's not a lot of stigma uh, associated with his, his character. Like people just understand and get it. Mm -hmm. Um, They're just like, oh, let's, let's figure out a way. And characters are like willing to explain to him as well they don't like look down on him for not understanding instantaneously which is something that a lot of neurodiverse people i think it associated get feel because like mm-hmm. if we don't immediately understand something uh society around us will sort of shame us and people will like look down upon us because we're seen as like oh you don't understand this, this is something that so many people just understand naturally whereas a lot of us are like what that's weird to me i don't understand what's going on but with data like because he's seen as an android the characters are like really willing to to like be with him and, and him being like ask questions and then answer for him because they're like, oh, he, he doesn't understand. So let's let's explain and try and, and try and figure out a way that makes sense to him um, and be empathetic to him as opposed to like trying to put our own standards upon him, which I thought I think is just really kind of wonderful and awesome. Uh, and then the character Barkley. Barkley um, is a very contentious guy. Like some people find him very problematic. And I think the reason is. Um, and and I think there's numerous things, but the reason is he is a much more kind of stereotypical depiction of autism. And then also, which is a very, um, uh, like different for star trek and i i think it works but some people some people may disagree like star trek as i said is a show about being accepting to people but barclay especially in the first episode which we meet him faces a lot of that kind of uh stigma because he's a character um who is very socially anxious mm-hmm. uh can't really look people in the eye he he gets very scared around being around people and, and focuses really in on his hyper fixations which in the series is like a holodeck which is kind of uh like a video game and movies. It, it kind of reminds me of my own obsession with Star Trek, right? Like he has mm-hmm. his own obsession with, exactly. with holodecks. Um, and he even gets like, he even has like some of, kind of a cruel nickname and, and that people sort of have for him. And it's not like overtly making fun. Right? Like it's not the intention to be super native, but it is very mean. And the, sh- and the episode acknowledges that, yeah. which I think is good. But I think people balk at that because like, oh, this is the character who has to experience that when a lot of Star Trek characters don't. And we see it within Within Starfleet and within the Federation, which is something you don't normally see, you normally see as something outside of that. But I think it works specifically because of what we were talking about earlier, in that like. You know, Starfleet is seen as, like, the best of the best. Everyone sort of, like, has this expectation that you're supposed to be at this level when you work in Starfleet. And Barclay definitely is. He's very smart. But because he doesn't um, fit into the mold of being a very extroverted person and can work with everybody as easily, it's he he is looked down upon because he doesn't fit the, necessarily the mold of, of Starfleet that everyone else looks at. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's... Um, I don't know. I think that I think it's I think it's worth seeing that these prejudices and these problems and stigmas can still exist within the future of humanity, because one thing that I think people fall into when talking about Star Trek is they talk about it as a utopia, as if it's like supposed to be a perfect society. And that's something that Gene Roddenberry tried to push when he sort of came back to make the next generation and wanted to, like, leave it as his legacy rather than, like, telling good stories. Um, But I really actually prefer looking at Star Trek as a show that is just a future where humanity is better and working and it's focused on being better. (laughs) But isn't always, um, but isn't always perfect. It, there's a line that Data even says: "It's like we must strive to be more than we are. We, can, um, we m- will not reach our ultimate goal, but the effort yields its own rewards." And I love that as like a guiding light for looking at Star Trek. So if you look at Barclay, I think that those things exist, and I like seeing that those problems still exist in the future. We work through them to the point where. You know, as we see Barkley grow throughout the next generation and Voyager, he becomes uh, like much more accepted. Like he is able to better work out his social anxiety and better able to like articulate himself and work within these situations. But people also come to understand his own uh, proclivities and his own uniqueness um, as well. So it's a little bit of like both. And, And I think that that arc is really wonderful and important. Um, in a way that like I think a lot of people focus on the start of that arc and understandably so Um, but I think his arc is really a great one
0: yeah no I agree and I think like there's something to be said how both of them to various degrees like part of why they were able to kind of grow um, as characters is specifically I think if I remember correctly like the understanding of a few of the characters as you mentioned like with Barkley he like there, there was some like, mean comments and, you know, that sort of thing. But, for example, if I remember well, um, um, Troy was still nice, like, the, uh, so she's, she's the counselor. Uh, and Picard, if I, if I remember well. At the very least, with Data, um, I that the relationship between Data and Troy is, for me, something that's super interesting. And obviously mm-hmm. because she's an empath, uh, which is, like, an entire thing in, in Star Trek. Um, and so, I, yeah, I mean, there's something to be said about that, I think. Um, mm-hmm. But what do you think the value is um or let let, let me let me backtrack a bit one of the things i i one of the main things i like about star trek is actually the fact that the it's still imperfect like you know they're 200 300 years into the future but there are still some issues granted some some of the issues that we're facing today seems to have been either resolved or mostly resolved or at the very least not as big of a deal let's put it that way but there are other issues and what i like about especially when i watch them like chronologically as as in when they've been produced not chronologically in the timeline but when they've been produced is that and you have obviously i'm referring to the the documentary that you you put out on on gender gender roles and gender stereotypes so what i like about that uh, with the same example as like with the jetsons <laughs> which is a bit random but i i because i mentioned this in a previous episode like the Jetsons came out in 1962, and it was supposed to be like 100 years into the future, 2062. Like George Jetsons was 40 in 2062, which means that he was born in our current year, in 2022. And it was so. It's interesting for me to think about it that way. Like, and they were imagining what 40 years from today would look like, 60 years ago, and they imagined like you know futuristic robots, uh, whatever. But Living obviously. Yeah, yeah, in the clouds and so, but like capitalism is still around. People still shop, and of course, gender roles are super like nineteen as, as they pictured them back then, basically. Mm-hmm. And I, so I see, I and I see that differences in between. There's already pretty significant difference between like, um, like the original series and the next generation, and then obviously with Voyager, complete difference as well. At the very least, like it feels like it's shifting, and also like it's almost like the writers are consciously thinking about. I don't know, learning from the previous ones or what have you. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. can you talk a bit about that, like uh, whether it's specifically on gender roles, but like on this notion that, well, it could be about the future, but it's, it's produced at a certain period of time, which for us now is the past. And that in and of itself means that the future isn't the same, you know, and which ov- obviously opens up the possibility for us today in the present to imagine different futures because there's nothing written in stone.
1: Yeah, it's one of those cool things about Star Trek that I, that I really like it as a franchise um, is because it, it is often a a product of its time, but a product of its time that's trying to be better, but still rooted in it. If you go back to the original series, you see like women wearing short skirts um, and there being like a romance of the week and it being very male driven with Kirk Spock and McCoy and mm-hmm. also white people driven as well. Um, and so you like it's a show that like it has diversity in it because um, you do have a black woman on the bridge you do have a asian man on the bridge you do have a um uh a, a, a russian at the time during the cold war but they are sort of background players rather than being really included in the story so it's very tokenistic in a in a lot of ways like hey we have these characters here and that's that was important especially at the time like that was, seeing a black woman on the bridge who wasn't stigmatized in any way was amazing mm-hmm. and very important um and i don't want to undersell that but they were very just like background players. Um, and that kind of uh, leads us into like things like Next Generation and Deep Space Nine and Voyager where the people started to get more of a center seat, no pun intended, um, to to like be more included in these stories. But then you would encounter like other things too of their time, like LGBTQ issues um, or autism as well, like things that weren't really as understood. And so you'd see like the show tried to do those things, like Next Generation had a co- and Deep Space Nine uh, as well had like, Episodes, but they were very otherizing. They weren't really handled very well. They they fell into a lot of traps of like the barrier gaze tropes in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um so uh, and but also at the same time, like still being very progressive, like even the, the queer episode of Next Duration, uh, because it sort of coded an alien metaphor, accidentally comes around to being like a good prescient trans metaphor while still having problems um, in it, which is which is kind of funny because it was clearly not intended. Like they have a conversation about pronouns in the 1980s because it's like, oh, what alien what pronouns do you use as an alien? Yeah. Um, But uh, but uh, so it's like problematic in the sense that like they don't see that humans could be that it was like an alien aliens Aliens are weird like that. (laughs) Um, But it's it's I think it's a really uh, it, it just creates this like weird enigma of this thing that like is problematic but is but is trying its best to be progressive at times and uh, as a result like it's just an interesting discussion of like how people saw the future and how people were thinking about the future and the discussions that people had about the future at that time and I think that that's really kind of I don't know it just it's just cool because it just enables us to have these cool conversations about it um and you know I've always said like Star Trek to me I I I not always but generally i would say like for every single star trek show that exists i think at the time there was a better or um like much more like pushing the boundaries science fiction show on at the time like you know next generation next generation was probably the lead of its time but like space 9 had babylon 5 even though i think Deep 9 is the best star trek show um voyager was up against a bunch of other things as well um today we have a bunch of science fiction shows going up against like star trek shows today that i think are really great um the original series of things like the twilight zone and outer limits and things like that yeah but but the reason that i like star trek specifically is not just its its ethos that it has but also just because it is such a great litmus test of what the time was like and i think that that's i think that that makes it really really cool as just like a piece of media um and it's also something that has to like constantly addressed the past too because it is something that's like oh we're going to make a show for the 24th century But we're setting it in the Star Trek universe, then we're going to keep it canon with everything that came before that you have to like sort of like deal with the fact that like, um, you know, in the original series, they had a random episode where they mentioned like augmentation is not allowed in the future uh, of humanity that we sort of believe that like you shouldn't you shouldn't augment people. Um, And that was just sort of a one off story that they did. But Mm -hmm. then you get into Star Trek uh, today um and there are still shows that are addressing that and using that as like a way to talk about stigma um like and, and sort of deconstructing like, like strange new worlds without spoiling too much there's a character on it that is augmented and faces stigma by starfleet because of that uh star trek prodigy is also getting into a storyline with that too um so it's it's really interesting because it's it's just like oh how do we how do we sort of bring this forward in a way that like it honors the past but also addresses some of the problematic stuff with
0: it no, for sure. I mean, I know the story of Nichelle Nichols herself. Who, unfortunately, she passed away uh, earlier this year. Um, well, she, well It's on YouTube. Folks can look it up. Where She said that Martin Luther King himself, who was like a big Trekkie, apparently told her like not to... Because she wanted to quit. Like she wanted to, to stop being a whore and do something else. Um, and he like he... I mean, according to her story that he told her to kind of stay on uh, because of like what it represented and whatnot. But like it's, it's a fascinating... And one thing,
1: too, about that story randomly, too, uh, because it always um, it's always something that I think people leave out of that story mm-hmm. that I think is important because we sort of want to uh, just be like, oh, she's like she didn't realize how important it was. And Martin Luther King came in and told her how important it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but something that's always left out of that story, if you listen to Nichelle Nichols tell it, uh, she was very angry mm-hmm. at hearing that from Martin Luther King um and angry at hearing it from gene Roddenberry, who said much the same as well um before because the reason she wanted to quit was because she was that background player yeah and because she she didn't get to be you know front and center when she knew that she was good enough to be uh front and center and she wanted to quit so she could go do more acting in like stage and theater and stuff and she tells that story and she talks about how like after martin luther king said that to her she was very upset and angry at the world uh, because of what the, this place that it had put her in, yeah. um, how, that how limiting like that was. To, yeah. Yeah. Um, and how she had to feel like the weight of the world upon her shoulders and she's, you know, she's wonderful and she did it and it, it meant so much to so many. Um, and she did so many great things like inspiring many NASA astronauts and working out with NASA to get many black women into, into the program and mm-hmm. into space. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I think it's also important to recognize that, like the 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 responsibility it forces marginalized people into as well, that I think sometimes gets uh, forgotten in that story. That's so, completely. You know, fair.
0: So. Yeah, yeah, that's completely fair. Thanks for adding that. And actually, like, it's mm-hmm. a good um, bridge in some ways, because like representation isn't always well done, uh, to, you know, to put it mildly. Uh, you've spoken in your video. I mean, you know, again, the 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 gender roles, uh, the sexualization of women, especially in the earlier uh, series like can you talk more about that and specifically because you have one video on that as well like uh, wh- when it comes to trans representation when what did they do right you know what did they do wrong uh, you know in your opinion
1: mm-hmm. i mean when it comes to just gender before we even talking about trans mm-hmm. um like Gender in in Star Trek is fascinating because uh, women were very included, but often very off to the side, especially like next generation, like women were in the support roles. Yeah. You had the doctor, the therapist, yeah. you know, they had a couple characters that broke that mold that they didn't stick around long because the like the actors felt like they weren't being written well for and because the, the writers didn't know what to do with mm-hmm. them, um, which is telling that like the actors who f- kind of didn't fit gender stereotypes didn't stick around because they didn't feel like they were being used. Yeah. Um and then there's and as the show went on like the male gaze of the series got more and more pronounced uh, especially in Star Trek uh, Voyager which creates this, like weird tension mm-hmm. uh, an interesting tension in in Star Trek uh, because the characters were very well written. You had this character, like seven of nine yeah. who came into Star Trek Voyager, who's wearing like a sexy cat suit and she's wearing, uh, like a, a, uh, underneath her suit. Uh, the actress, Jerry Ryan talked about like how she had to, like had, uh, like, a like, a lot of stuff underneath her to give her like this, like thin waist mm-hmm. and everything. Uh, and they often underlit her boobs and things like that. Like she was very much there to like be the eye candy of the series. Um, But she was written super well. In fact, some people would argue, myself included, that she is the best character on that show. Um, And it just, like, creates this interesting tension between, like, what the show uh, was trying to do with its story and its its focus in the future, but also, like, the very fact that it was made today again like i said uh and the problems of the sexualization of today um and a lot of the problems that people point to and i don't think it's limited to him but i do think he was a big indicator of it is rick berman who was the man who took over star trek after gene Roddenberry passed away um and ran it uh until the early 2000s um and he was a man who was very much like studio executive dude and had the studio executive thinking and wasn't really progressive but was just sort of like oh let's just do this show um like he talks about how like he didn't really buy into gene Roddenberry's vision you know and gene Roddenberry a very, very problematic man but like he he was very progressive in that sense wanted to push the boundaries whereas rick berman was just laying like yeah i'll just do it because that's what he did mm-hmm. um and and didn't really push try to push the boundaries and as a result got tied into a lot of very problematic thinking and treated women uh especially very badly and otherwise queer people and, and denied queer representation in a lot of star trek a lot of the time or when he did do it he felt it was like oh we're just going to do it just to do the issue on it like we'll do the issue uh, mm. episode we'll do it it'll be fun get it out of the way so people will stop ranting about it um and uh and then also you could talk about like i won't get too deep into it but like talk about how his mistreatment of women specifically behind the scenes was really awful as well um Though Gene Roddenberry is not, uh, not alone. Rick Berman is not alone in that. Gene Roddenberry certainly had his own share. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, uh, so there's that tension within Star Trek in that, like, just the way it treated women was far from perfect. Uh, and I sort of exclude Deep Space Nine because Deep Space Nine is much better about that because it was the show that was sort of like the redheaded stepchild of Star Trek. And so it was like <laughs> able to do cooler things and. Yeah. Um, uh, and so, like, I was able to, like, get away with more stuff, and it had much better representation overall, and there were still problems, like, again, Jad Cia Dax, actress, uh, Terry Farrell, uh, was treated badly, Rick Berman there as well, and they were still limited by some things, and, and still limited by some prejudices as well. Um, so, there's all of that. And then when it brings it to LGBTQ and, and transgender issues specifically, uh, it, it has all of those problems where there's it's very otherizing in a lot of senses. Like I said, the next generation episode is like, hey, look at these non-binary aliens. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Isn't non-binary just a weird alien thing instead of a thing that human beings can be? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, going uh further, you had like uh Enterprise, which did like the, the uh, HIV episode. Mm. Uh, But it was done in the early 2000s. That's that it's not worth doing then. But like they had a script in the the 80s to do an HIV episode during the height of the AIDS epidemic. And they didn't do it because it was because of homophobia. Like the writer of that episode, David Gerald, literally stated that it was homophobia that kept it from being aired. Mm -hmm. And Rick Berman's homophobia specifically. Um, But within that because of the same thing that we're talking about with neurodiversity, because this is a show that had alien metaphor and had alien characters, you can still find representation in a way that even at the time we weren't getting. And I always point to the character of Jadzia Dax in Deep Space Nine, who is my favorite character in all of Star Trek, because she is someone that I got to see myself in as a trans person at a time where there was no trans representation because of what her character is in the show is due to this alien stuff. um, Her species, the Trill, uh, one of the aspects of their society is that certain people in their society can get these sort of alien symbiotes put into them. And that gives them memories of past lives that the symbiote has been in. And so Jadzia Dax is a character who has the past lives of numerous people. And her immediate prior life was that of being in a dude. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the characters on the show, including the captain of the show, remember her being that guy and treat her uh, with the full awareness that that is part of who she was. Um, and... And as a result, it kind of creates that trans metaphor of like, you used to be seen as a dude and now you're a woman and there's no stigma attached to that. Like the character who like first accepts her fully and like, he makes a joke about it at first, but he's just like, yeah, this, this is cool. This is fine, whatever. And that treats her with full respect as, as anybody else. And even like jokingly calls her old man, mm-hmm. uh, which some people take as like, Oh, he's misgendering her. If you, if you like in the show, it's meant as like a term of affirmation, but like if you put a trans reading onto it, people sure, are yeah, like, yeah, Oh, yeah, he's yeah. misgendering her. Yeah, yeah. Um, but i always love that too even within a trans reading because what it says is that he is allowed to say that to her and she's okay with it because it's him acknowledging the fullness of their relationship and not denying uh, their their relationship and it's a term of affection and showing like i see you and i i can call you this because we know each other like no one else gets to call you that no one else calls him old man or her old man excuse me mm-hmm. um no one else calls her old man because they're not allowed to because they don't have that relationship and i think that that's really really cool um, and then you could even go into uh, there's a character named Esri Dax who sort of without spoiling too much gets the symbiote at some point in the series um, and Jed Sia came into the series being like fully developed like she was like a trans person who has been out for years and like i got this stuff mm-hmm. i know how, how to do this i'm very confident in my identity whereas Esri in the final season of DC9 she's a character that like is figuring it out and as a result, like you can see her being a very what we call in the trans community, a baby trans, you know, uh, just like still figure it out. Like she even says, like at one point in the series, like, I don't know what pronouns to use. Uh, like there's literally a series she's like, I don't know what pronouns to use. I don't know if I'm a boy or a girl when I wake up in the morning sometimes. Uh, it's like, wow, I feel that very heavily. And so it's like about her, like figuring out who she is in a, in a, in a transition moment. And I think a lot of like young trans people are people who are trans people who are just coming out, uh, relate to that a lot. Um so like those characters exist and I think it does it really, really well in those contexts. And then there's like scenes too, where like a Klingon uh, like who is a friend of hers, like sees her, Jetsia see- sees her and it's like, Oh, Curzon my old friend, which is her older name. And she says, Oh, it's Jetsia now. It's like, Oh, Jetsia my old friend. Mm-hmm. And it like, it's a perfect way to handle dead names. Um, and, and from then on they never use her dead name. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's great. Um, Flash forward to today, though, what I really love about Star Trek and again, going to Star Trek Discovery specifically, but like I think all of the Star Trek shows do this really, really well. It's a, it, it makes me very happy. Um, But Discovery specifically has been very inclusive of uh literal queer people and trans people like that show has six queer characters, including a transgender character and a non-binary character, trans man and a non-binary character. And they are allowed to be literally trans and non-binary um they aren't like coded as such like they are expressly trans and non-binary and as i talked about before like naturally allowed to be themselves so like a character will mention a trans character will mention like oh i transitioned like they just mention it casually as like an offhand line it's not focused on it's not like this big thing that like other tv shows would be like they transitioned or they have to hide that fact it's like no it's just a part of their lives that exists Mm -hmm. um that they can just refer to because it was part of their experience and i love that it just it feels natural Um, And I I really love Discovery for that. Um, But they also what I love about Discovery, too, is it understands the the history, too, that it's representing, uh, you know, talking about that stuff, too. So one of the characters is a Trill. Like they are trans, but they are also a Trill character. And I think that that's and they use some of the Trill metaphor in that show to sort of talk about like just like certain like feelings that trans people may have in the future about like surgeries and bodies and things like that, but not stigmatizing it in transness. So it allows the show to like recognize the importance of trills to many trans people, the character Jetsia Dax while still being um, literalizing the uh, representation. And then just to wrap out like other Star Trek shows, uh, or even while discovery is the most diverse and has that more front and center, like strange new worlds had a trans character on it. Um, uh, there's queer characters in every single Star Trek show on right now um so i think that i think it like modern social shows have problems certainly their own problems that are associated with today that i'm sure we'll get more and more able to articulate as time goes on and we look back but um but i also think that uh it does a great job in pulling that forward just for star trek
0: yeah and again it it doesn't it, it like it highlights the importance of just having these characters and yes, this is the thing about them, sure they are that, they're this, they're whatnot, but ultimately they're just characters in a story and maybe that maybe their identity is relevant in one way or another, uh, you know, for like in a specific episode, a specific plot, but ultimately they're just there as members of a crew and they're valued as such. And that's kind of that's mm-hmm. that that that's the value in it. Like they, they embody this complexity. Um and that that complexity is not just accepted but like cherished you know it's it's it 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 enriches mm-hmm. the other folks in the in in that crew and obviously for someone who you know who's autistic i've me- i don't think i've mentioned that specific thing but for me data was one so as i said i knew a bit about tng and TOL, like the original series before really getting into them like a couple of years ago so i knew about data and it's something that I understood kind of retrospectively like why did I have this attachment you know and it's only later on when I when I kind of got diagnosed and I understood I was autistic that it kind of clicked it was those things that, oh well this is why and that, then when I rewatched or in many cases watched for the first time um the next generation in in 2020 um, I was I had an experience I feel like I don't I I can't quite describe like as being something i felt with like other shows really like it's, it's something very specific mm. very it's not even like just fandom or i mean not that fandom is a bad thing but it's not just that it's it's a it was something like almost spiritual you know it was something really really deep in that mm. sense uh, i remember there was one uh, i won't mention too much again for the spoilers but you know which one i'm talking about well like uh, data's um humanness let's put it that way or personhood maybe uh, was kind of being questioned, and one of the other mm-hmm. characters was defending it, and like for me, that episode was super moving. Like I, I think I was crying when I watched when I when I watched it. Just be-
1: it's one. Of, it's my it's that's my
0: favorite episode of Next Generation. Exactly. by far. Yeah. yeah. I know. It's yeah. just like I think it's called The Measure of a Man or something. I forgot the name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, no. You nailed okay, it. Perfect. <laughs> but like yeah, so that 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 episode is one. It's something that kind of yeah. I I just love that episode. I guess, but besides that if, if it's not too cheeky of me like which ones are your uh if someone again someone's listening to this they don't know most of star trek they followed our conversation mm-hmm. because we did our best not to be spo- spoilery because we kicked, because we kick butt and we we're awesome <laughs> and, we were also and, and, we and so on out. yes yeah. all of the above um how how would you recommend that they start watching star trek
1: um So I actually did a whole video on this. Oh, you did? Yeah. uh, Yeah, which you should check out. But uh, and what what, and I recommend that video because I I not just my own, uh, you know, go watch my stuff, (laughs) but also because I go through every single series and like explain every single one and what's unique about it. What's 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 good about it. What might be off putting about it to you if you dislike these certain things. Uh, So I think it's a good sample. I think you can really start with any Star Trek show. To be frank, I think Space nine, which is my favorite start to show, and I think the best one um, is uh, is the probably the hardest because it's the most reliant on knowing a lot of the universe. But you can still even sit there and get it. Um, So I think there's none of the shows are too too limiting in that sense. Um, But. uh, but my recommendation always has been, if you are a, someone who can't really watch older shows, then I would start with the, some, the Star Trek movies, the ones with Chris Pine in it, um, and then go to like Discovery, um, and then maybe like Lower X Prodigy. Picard is probably my least favorite Star Trek show, so um, you can you can take or leave that one, in my opinion. But. But uh, but you can also check that out if you're a big fan of Next Generation because it's sort of a sequel to Next Generation. Yeah. Um, but if if you're, the, I think you could just stay in modern Star Trek. Like Star Trek: Strange New Worlds is also a great place to begin. Um, so you can like pick those shows uh, and really f- and 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 just stay there. But if you're someone who can watch older stuff and be cool with it, then I would recommend starting with Next Generation. Um, begin and, and know that seasons one and two are a bit rough, mm-hmm. uh, especially season one. But but start with Next Generation and then from there branch out go to like Deep Space Nine Voyager maybe they go back to the original series and things like that. Uh but I think Next Generation is a really strong starting place for for most people. Um you can start with the original series and watch it from then and go forward. Uh but the original series is 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 even more dated I would say Definitely than fun. than some other shows and it's still great. Like I still enjoy it but you have to come in with the understanding that it's a
0: very dated show. Yeah, you have to be that's why I was like you have to be patient uh i yes yeah. with um yeah I, I would say the same thing like because i've seen uh so as i said tng ds9 um discovery voyager uh yeah that's it so far um and now while, while watching the original series i'm able to to kind of tolerate it more be me more patient again i'm using the same term because because not just because of like funny special effects for us and stuff like that that's actually i, th- I actually find that cute it's it's yeah just sometimes the dated stuff i guess yeah, we just leave it at that mm-hmm. and with the more recent ones because the special effects are much better it's just easier to i think for us as someone like i grew up in the 90s and 2000 like it's just easier to kind of consume if i can put it that way than some of the other ones mm-hmm. but um ds9 and voyager and I, just, I don't have a favorite one, to be honest with you. But I love DS9 for for its own reasons. Even the very weird stuff that happened at times, especially towards the end. I love all of that. Uh, and Voyager, I just got so attached to the crew um, in a way that... Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I did to the others as well. But like something spe- special about Voyager for some reason, I got really, really attached to that crew. Um, Seven of nine, definitely. I, think, I, think, I agree, yeah. yeah. I love seven.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, you should watch Star Trek. Prodigy. If you like Voyager, you should watch Star Trek Prodigy. You will you will deeply enjoy I'm, it if you're a big. I'm gonna watch fan. everything.
0: <laughs> it's getting there. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, so the last thing I usually do um, on this, unless wait, first, like, is there anything you wanted to get into but we didn't have you know time to get into it? I mean, there's so much that I wanted <laughs> yeah, sure. to get into,
1: we didn't get into it. Like that's why I have a YouTube channel yes. where I talk about all of this stuff <laughs> because I do have too much Fair to enough, talk about. Yeah. So
0: yeah yeah okay um so besides so okay with that in mind usually i ask folks to kind of recommend three books um mm. one of you actually one of the books that you recommend in that autism uh, video i have it with me the the whole
1: uh yeah, to yeah, yeah. strange new worlds
0: understanding thing. autism through a star trek lance by elizabeth w Bond. It's a really really interesting book um but yeah, what would you recommend like books or movie whatever you want what three things that you would recommend to our listeners
1: uh, well, I'll recommend, so I'll start with a Star Trek book. Uh, one that, um, I'm trying to think of like which ones I would recommend, because I love, I adore Star Trek books, and there's so many out there. Um, actually, I'll recommend one that I just read uh, by Una McCormick. It was called, um, oh God, let me look it up real quick. It's actually a Star Trek Picard novel, and I don't love Star Trek Picard as a series, but I love the books that come out about mm. it. And I'm blanking on the name The book is off the top of my head, so I'm just going to find it. Uh, Second Self. So there's a book called Star Trek Second Self. Star Trek Second Self that just came out, and I think is one of the best science fiction novels that I've not only read in Star Trek, but one of the best science fiction novels that I've read this year. It is beautiful and fantastic, and it's it's about um, restorative justice, healing after, like, just being honest, it's talking about genocides. Mm um and it's a really difficult book but i think a really beautiful book and very beautifully told and one of the best science fiction it's a tie-in novel but it's one of the best i've seen um other things to recommend if i want to recommend uh like i said my favorite star trek show is star trek lower decks i would highly recommend that show i adore that show it's like the comedy if you like rick and morty mm-hmm. uh or solar opposites and things like that it's like a star trek version of that but it's very earnest and very optimistic like it captures like i think it's the star trek show that captures that earnest optimism of star trek more than any other because uh, it, it's so just beautifully, beautifully optimistic in earnest and I love it. Um and so I really recommend lower decks. It's it's again my current favorite of the Star Trek shows. Um and then uh just to pick something outside of Star Trek, I'll recommend just to go to another big science fiction franchise that's sort of encapture my brain and my my hyperfixation again now. Uh Star Wars, Star Wars andor. Mm. Uh I think it was just a show that just came out, uh just finished its run a few weeks ago, and it is fantastic. I am shocked. Uh, as someone who has not liked Disney, Star Wars under Disney very much, um, I am shocked by how good Star Wars Andor is. It feels very politically prescient, very like about today, um, very inspiring um, and also just extremely well written and uh, amazing characters. So if you're a Star Wars fan, but it kind of fell off because of Star- Disney Star Wars, which I understand because I felt it too. Mm-hmm. Um, Star Wars Andor, I think, is not only w- the best Star Wars thing that has come out in a long time uh but might be my show of the year um like might be my favorite show this year which again shocking because i am someone who's not loved disney star wars so those would be my three
0: recommendations amazing amazing thanks for that uh yeah i mean so all that's left is uh just to thank you for doing this this was super fun uh and i as you know mentioned it obviously throughout this thing but i highly recommend folks checking out your youtube channel it's honestly super fun very interesting very powerful and yeah all of the good adjectives that one can can use (laughs) thank you so much i really appreciate it It was it was an honor to do this and i really i really
1: enjoyed being here so i really appreciate you asking me to do this
0: defy these times is hosted by myself joey ayu i am also its producer researcher writer and sound editor If you want to help turn this project into a full-time job, please head out to patreon.com slash times to support it. These episodes are part of a bigger project, which includes resources, a newsletter, and eventually YouTube video essays as well. As always, thank you for listening and take care.